It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Light it up on a Wednesday, Wednesday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, could be on 104.9, 104.9 or AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app or at hornfm.com. We just thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I'm Jeff Howe, Craig Way out today, at Jeff Howe 247 on Twitter. Not that interesting of a Twitter follow, but you can get the Horns 24-7, see everything we've got going on over there. And the Longhorn Blitz podcast is up with myself, Matt Butler, and Rod Babers. It is at Horns 24-7. That's one way you can get it, or you can subscribe to the podcast feed, the Horns 24-7 podcast feed. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. Go ahead, also enjoy State of Recruiting and the flagship podcast. A uh, lot of stuff for you at Horns 24-7. Got, a, got the Texas basketball game to get to. Got some Texas football tidbits to get to. Uh, a little bit of everything. Always taking your uh, questions, comments, feedback, everything on the Specs text line, 337-3776. Craig is out today. Uh, Craig, I didn't quite know what his travel schedule was. So, Craig, uh, by the way, behind the booth, uh, Ty Henderson pulling double duty after producing uh, BNE this morning. Ty, you, you hanging in there? Oh, yeah. I got to show everybody on Twitch that's watching. Ty, I can't thank you enough for this card, man. So, I, I love, uh, you know, Longhorn RPAs, kind of anywhere, anywhere I can get them, just Longhorn autos, patch autos for rookies, the little card talk. Ty, this is a, and this is a, 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 a rookie card. Yeah. First off to print. Yeah. This is a Roy Williams rookie patch auto with a piece of his Lions jersey and a piece of his Texas jersey number to 25 look at that that is sick man that's a sick patch Ty thank you so much man you did not have to do this no problem I greatly appreciate that that's gonna I'm gonna get me a one nice one touch for that and that's going in my uh display case in my office so I appreciate that uh so Ty is here I Ty, are you familiar with the history of Texas and their rough travels to and from Ames, Iowa? Yes. You never okay. you never want to play a night game in Ames in football. I know that's the case. Okay. So there was a trip like in 2015 where I remember Tim Cole and Caleb Blute and a couple of the guys that were on that flight said they had apparently hit really bad turbulence on the way back. And I think it was Tim Cole said, I really thought for a minute, like, this was it. This is, this is how it's going to end. Uh, Craig didn't get into the details, but he said it was a little bit of a rough flight coming back with the men's team. I think he got home about 3.30, and he's got to send his Craig Way reports and do all the stuff Craig does. Uh, at the airport, had to catch that 8 a.m. flight from Austin to DFW, and I was texting him on the way in, and he said he was about to get on his flight from DFW to Lubbock. So thank goodness he didn't have to drive, get off that flight, get a couple hours sleep, and drive from here to Lubbock. He managed to make the flight, so good for Craig. Uh, Craig not going to check in today because of the travel 
the travelings that he's got going on. Uh, so we'll talk to Craig tomorrow when he's back calling the women's game tonight, Texas at Texas Tech. You can hear that on 105.3 The Bat. We'll run down details on that here in just a little bit. But uh, let's talk Texas basketball first. This isn't the Longhorn Notebook. We'll get to the Longhorn Notebook at the bottom of the hour. we got two of those, one this hour, one next hour. Uh, inconceivable, going to close out hour number one. Our flex update coming in, uh, coming at you at the bottom of the uh, of the second hour of the show. Let's go ahead and get into some Texas basketball. Let's just start it off with this. Uh, you get your Craig Way fix right out of the gate. Uh, Ty, we got that interview queued up. It's Craig's post-game interview with Rodney Terry. Texas goes on the road, suffers a 78-67 loss to Iowa State, and uh, we'll get into the nitty-gritty after we hear Craig's post-game conversation with Rodney Terry. A rough and tumble game. You knew you expected that as well. You expected it's a two-point game with under eight minutes to go. How about your thoughts overall and what you saw? Well, again, I, like I, I told the guys, I said, we worked this thing all the way down. Even with four minutes to go, it's still anybody's ball game. We have two basketball, you know, plays made there in terms of, you know, offensive fouls that could have went either way a little bit, to be honest. You know, now you're down to a one-possession, two-possession game. Uh, but but it was a physical game. You know, I thought a physical on both ends of the floor. You know, uh, they shoot 30 free throws. You know, we shoot 22. We wanted to get to the foul line. Likewise, we knew that they were – they were a, a team that really plays aggressive. And, you know, we had a stretch there where we got off to a great start in the game. But then we had a little stretch there where we turned the ball over like eight turnovers there. And that, that uh, let those guys come back, get some momentum, uh, kind of going into halftime. You mentioned before the game we were visiting, you said, yeah, Gabe Kalsher is all that. He's very good. But you said, but Jaron Holmes is another guy that we have to be ready for. And, and he wound up having some big impact down the stretch. Yeah, he's an X-factor guy, you know. Um, with Coucher and uh, Grill, those guys, they need them to make threes. They're not making threes, and it's a different game for them uh, in terms of their scoring. But uh, but Holmes, you know, he's kind of a Timmy Allen kind of guy for them. That kind of does a little bit of everything. He's their backup point guard. He gets downhill. He made some threes tonight. Um, you know, but uh, he's a good player. Um, they've got a good team. You know, I thought, again, we competed, and we were right where we needed to be, uh, give or take a little bit, stretch here or there. You know, the game could have went either way. Rodney, a two-point game right under eight minutes. It looked like you were having trouble issuing pick and roll. What did you see on top? You just couldn't get any flow there with it pick and roll on top. Offensively for us? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we, we knew that they were really trying to push us out. And, you know, again, a physical game, you can kind of have – we had to adapt to the way the game's being played tonight. We're not getting the calls out there with guys with hands on us. We had to continue to try to play through that a little bit. But but with the, even with all that, we got the ball in the sweet spot and – we were able to, to get some good baskets. The Sioux gave us a good look in there early, you know, when Marcus was able to draw two and we were able to make the pocket pass and attack the way we had practiced all week in terms of how we wanted to practice. You know, CB had a couple of looks in there as well. So I thought we got it in the places where we wanted in some of the sweet spots. We just weren't able to finish some plays. And that comes down to continue to work on the good things that came out of us before you head to Morgantown? Yeah, I mean, we got off to a great start, you know, and I thought, again, I, I, you know, we had been getting off the slow starts. But, but I thought we took care of the basketball early in the game, which allowed us to get off to a good start. We needed to put more consecutive stops together in this game. We didn't, that's one area we didn't, we didn't get a lot of things done. We, we had like two, two you know, consecutive stops. We tried to get three stops in a row. We only had two of those in the game. And you got to have throughout the course of the game seven, eight of those. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree with anything Rodney Terry said about Texas on the defensive end of the floor. And I've already seen a couple of texts about it. We'll get to the Caleb Grill foul on on Dylan Mitchell, or non-foul call. Should have been a foul. We'll get to that here in just a second. But, Ty, 
I don't, I don't disagree with anything Rodney Terry said, but if you look at the extended stretch they had without a field goal to close the first half and the big stretch they had in the second half without a field goal, they went almost exactly 17 minutes of game time without a field goal last night. It's really hard to win basketball games when you go that long without a field goal. I mean, close to 0%. It was nine minutes in the second half. And I think it was I, I charted it was nine twenty in the second half, and it was the last seven thirty eight of the first half without no field goals. They did score; they got some trips to the line, but it wasn't cutting. And I and you know the guys that you needed to shoot the ball really well didn't shoot it all that well. Marcus Carr only Marcus Carr only got off nine shots in this game. That's just. That's not what you typically get from him. Uh, again, a high foul game. I mean, Dylan DeSue was in double figures. I thought Texas took advantage at times or did a really good job. We saw Christian Bishop do it a little bit. Brock Cunningham really taking advantage of bigs moving well without the ball, getting open either on the baseline or the short corner, a free throw line extended just uh, just below the free throw line. I uh, saw Dylan DeSue hit a couple of those runners. Uh, you got – 10 points out of Dylan DeSue. Uh, Christian Bishop gave you 12 off the bench. Christian Bishop was your leading scorer last night. I love CB, but Ty, you know, this, you're, you're not going to win a lot of basketball games in this league when Christian Bishop's your leading scorer. No. Uh, Marcus Carr gave you 11. Uh, Timmy Allen fouled out with nine points and six boards. Uh, you know, didn't get a whole lot. Jabari Rice, I mean, he's been a guy that's been, you know, microwave scoring off the bench. He only gave you six points, shot two for seven last night, had more turnovers than he had made field goals. So really, the guys that you needed to score last night uh, more than they did, Timmy Allen only took five shots in this game. Between Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, Jabari Rice, those three guys really have an off night. And I say Timmy had an off night because he fouled out later in the game, uh, only played 29 minutes. Uh, Those three guys, you look at their missing production, that's probably – that's probably where you make up for losing a game. And and probably if those guys are on, you don't go the last seven and a half minutes of the first half and a, over an almost nine and a half minute stretch in the second half without a field goal. Do you think part of the reason why there are those long stretches without field goals is because this team doesn't have a true big man down low that can get you like an easy layup to get out of that funk? You know, we see that from a lot of these teams where when they do go on scoring droughts, they just throw it down there for a few possessions and just let their guy, you know, put up a hook shot or no, or work his feet. not necessarily. To me, it's more of it's got more to do with uh, just the way the Texas offense functions because between Jabari Rice and Tyrese Hunter. Now you've got the ability for Marcus Carr to play without the ball. I just felt like Marcus maybe had the ball in his hands to start the possession a little too much last night. And credit Iowa State with how aggressive. You look at the teams, Ty, that have given Texas problems. It's really when you play really aggressive half-court man-to-man defense and make them just start the possession really high. And RT talked about that in the post-game interview just now. There were a lot of those possessions in the second half where I'm like, man, they're they're starting this possession like about the timeline where Carr or Hunter, whoever had the ball, they're having to pick their dribble up and, and look to pass. They just never really got anything set. Ideally, that's going to be Marcus Carr. You want Marcus Carr to be moving without the ball and be able to get shots in those situations. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily about a big. Uh, but, again, I just think Carr had the ball in his hands too much. Uh, you know, Tyrese Hunter started hot, finished 3-for-11, 2-for-6 from 3. Uh, again, didn't get hardly anything from Jabari Rice last night. He had six points, but again, three turnovers to two field goals made. Just not a great night offensively. Credit Iowa State with some of that, but uh, the turnovers for Texas 
tie were a huge issue. 13 turnovers. Iowa State only turned it over seven times. That's 12 points for Iowa State off 13 Texas turnovers. I'd, I'd be interested to see how many of those 13 turnovers were in those two stretches that we were talking you about. You know what? The other thing, too, it seemed like almost all of them, except for maybe a couple, were live ball turnovers, too. The live ball turnovers is what kills you, man. If you get a steal or something or – you get a steal, you dribble the ball off your foot, and the other team starts going the other way with it. That's when you get your two on ones and your three on twos, and that's when you can get some easy transition buckets. As a matter of fact, let me look at fast break points for your fast break points. Actually, last night were tied four uh, four. Texas had a significant edge in bench points. Uh, tech, this is the thing. Like why I say, if you had gotten something from those other guys, it probably makes up the difference in you losing a game. Texas won in in points in the paint twenty eight twenty two. They want they had a, a play or plus twenty last night in bench points. But a couple areas where Iowa State really took advantage, like I said, turnovers and points off turnovers. You also had second chance points because Iowa State did a great job on the offensive glass last night. Uh, then there was a couple of those possessions, Ty. You remember the second half? Once they when they not when they had the lead, but when they started building the lead, like when they when they got out in front after Texas made that run at the beginning of the half, when Iowa State cr- climbed back in it, there were a couple of really big possessions where it seemed like they got a couple of tip back offensive rebounds, and it would go like to Kalsher or Grill, and they would get you know pass it off, and one of them would get an open look at a three. Uh, they got a lot of second chance points that way. Iowa State last night nine offensive rebounds. Cyclones were plus seven on the glass last night, so that had a lot to do with Texas' struggles. Uh, so you lose the turnover battle, uh, you lose the battle in terms of second chance points because you lose the rebounding battle, minus seven. Uh, and Texas last night, again, with the turnovers, 11 assists to 13 turnovers. That's not a formula <clears throat> Excuse me for Texas to win basketball games. All right, so let's go ahead and address kind of the elephant in the room right now as far as this game goes. Ty, I heard, heard B&E talking about it this morning. Get your thoughts on it. You, from watching the game, watching the replay, first off, I'll ask you, because I, I didn't at first, on first glance, because I'm blogging, I'm trying to do a lot of different things during the game, at first it just seemed like, oh, man, Dylan Mitchell took a nasty spill. And then when I watched the replay, I was like, man, it looks pretty dirty. What? Give me your point of view on that play. For those that didn't see the game, Dylan Mitchell's going up for a rebound. Caleb Grill, let's be honest, just undercuts him. Dylan Mitchell takes a nasty spill. Thankfully, he he eventually got up and continued on in the game. Uh, played 16 minutes last night in a, a very un-Dylan Mitchell-like game from what we've seen from him. Uh, no points, didn't even attempt a field goal last night, uh, and only one rebound from him last night. Uh, two, fa- two fouls was the most he filled up the box score in 16 minutes. Uh, give me your thoughts on that, Ty. What did you think? When, when you, did, did you notice it at first, or did you have to go look at the replay? Uh, no, I, I definitely thought it was a, at least a common foul right off the bat. And then after watching it, I, that, that's a situation where, yeah, first of all, it, it was dirty. And it's a situation, mm-hmm. if you're Rodney Terry, where I think you need to you know, get on the floor and start screaming at the refs and maybe even get a text. So at least you get the, the game stopped at that point. And I just I don't see how you can they, – they just played through that. That was – a uh, very bang bang play in the moment, I guess. But if there's a guy on the floor hitting the floor that hard, 99 percent of the time the refs are blowing the whistle. I mean, there were 49 fouls called in that game last night. There should have been 50. <laughs> I know that one was a foul, like you said, at least a comma foul, and it looked really, really dirty to me on the replay. Like I said, at first glance, I was like, "Oh man, he took a nasty spill." I'm like, "Dude, that that was dirty." And then you keep looking at him, like, "Yeah, that's a dirty play, and probably should have been taken care of." And 
I know Texas fans, it doesn't take much to get the Big 12 officiating conspiracies going and can't wait for Texas to get out of this league and all of that stuff, but uh, it's just one of those deals. Yeah, (laughs) right on cue, Jim from Lago Vista. Big 12 officials can suck it. They screwed us in football, currently screwing us in basketball, and will screw us in baseball. Can't get out of this conference soon enough. My point exactly, but I'll say this too, Jim. uh, Big 12... I don't know how you feel about it, Ty. I feel like of the three sports, I feel like umpiring in baseball is usually the worst one. You can get away with the most in baseball, I think. Being being a bad umpire, or at least giving one team calls and not giving another team. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, there, are, I think there are more bad umpires than there are bad officials in football and basketball. Well, it's also football, at least in college, is on a bigger stage, so I feel like there's probably more pay and training <laughs> that goes into that there was one year i was covering the team and uh ben johnson it was the year he was first team all big 12 ben had a great year ended up getting drafted shout out ben johnson westwood's finest if you're listening uh i think texas was maybe playing kansas at home i remember it was a home game and ben got called out on a i mean a god awful called third strike and he ended up getting ejected and i'm like you know what i don't fault him for that one he he he's that's I'll, what I'm I'll saying. Give that that, that might have been one of those situations with Rodney Terry last night where you at least go out there and give him enough of an earful to where you're getting his attention, maybe a tech. You know, you yeah. gotta you gotta stand up for your players. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I don't know, maybe RT just didn't wanna the momentum was uh, you know it was a back and forth game. It's on the road. That was a pretty hostile environment. Hilton's a tough place to play as it is, and man, they were all over Tyrese Hunter. There was a point in the, early in that game, Tyler, I even mentioned this on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7. Uh, Tyrese was getting booty. It's a three. I'm like, man, I hope Tyrese goes for 30 tonight. Uh, turns out he had a really hot start and then didn't really do anything down the stretch. As a matter of fact, if you look at Tyrese Hunter in the second half last night, he had a scoreless second half. I didn't even realize that. A scoreless second half, 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. One assist, one two assists, one turnover. Not not ideal for him in the second half. Uh so he didn't go for thirty. He only went for eleven or ten, whatever. How many had. how many did Bishop has as a leading sporter? Twelve, yeah. And oh, uh man. this text says I don't understand why Bishop doesn't start over Mitchell. Bishop makes things happen defensively and offensively. I I think Christian Bishop doesn't start for the same reason Jabari Rice doesn't start. Both of those guys, you like their energy off the bench. And pretty much once you get through that first substitution wave, I mean, you can look at it. Bishop probably ends up playing more than Dylan DeSue does anyway. And I would say that probably between Rice, Hunter, and Carr, the minutes, I don't want to say they even out because Marcus Carr plays a lot of minutes, but especially with Tyrese Hunter having the cramping issues lately. I mean, Jabari Rice is close to, if not over. As a matter of fact, I'll look it up during the break and look at where those guys are at in terms of minutes per game. I mean, Arterio Morris, he's still getting like 9 to 12 minutes a game. Yeah, how many did Arterio get last night? Uh, Arterio last night, Arterio got 9 minutes last night. That was the the team low. Let's I feel know like that's he, about his he did He did make a 3. Uh, he did he did have 3 fouls, especially late in the game where you had to eat some fouls. Uh, you know, he's, he's coming along slowly, but Dylan Mitchell, you've been getting at least even games where Mitchell isn't scoring and, and of late, he hasn't been scoring a ton. He'll at least give you really good rebounding. Uh, he didn't do any of that last night. I don't know how much the, the being undercut and taking that spill contributed to that, but it's just, it's just, it was just an off night for Texas. And it's a shame Ty, because you start looking at like some of the kind of dig into the numbers a little bit. 
And three-point shooting was also a big deal. Texas four for 17 from beyond the arc. Texas was averaging over a point per possession last night. They're at 1.031, 31 scores on 65 possessions. But you look at Iowa State last night, uh, 63. So Texas had two more possessions in this game. Iowa State had three more scores, 1.238 points per possession. They were 9 for 24 from beyond the arc. So 37.5% for the game, 4 for 10 in the second half. And like I said, it seemed like Grill and Kalsher, when they – Got the game tied and then started to build that lead. It seemed like those two guys just could not miss from three. So it's not like it was just this abundance of just lights out three-point shooting, but when they really needed it from Kalsher and Grill, they got it. Uh, Tough to win on the road in this league. Uh, This is one that I think Texas will look back and realize, man, there was a lot of stuff they could have done differently to go win the game. But life in the Big 12 means got to get back on a horse and do it again on Saturday. Got to go to Morgantown. Bob Huggins and company having a really, really tough year. Uh, 0-5 in the league. They play tonight, trying to avoid dropping 0-6. But we'll see what happens, what kind of team Texas is going to face when they go to Morgantown on Saturday. If you're going to stay in the thick of the conference title race, I know it sounds silly, but Saturday is almost a must win. You look at the top of the conference standings, you know, K-State, Kansas, and Iowa State are all 5-1 in league play. Texas is now 4-2 with the loss. So you'd like to go to Morgantown and get you a win before you come back home. So we'll see what happens with the Longhorns this weekend. We'll continue to talk about the basketball game. Coming up next, we'll talk some Texas football. Uh, we got one transfer portal edition officially being a part of the football program. And is Texas going to get another before the close of business today when the transfer portal closes until May? We'll talk about that when we come back on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Ty, I need a breaking news sounder. Breaking news sounder, sir. Ray Natilli and his crew that called the Texas-Iowa State game last night have just called another foul in that game. So we're up to 50 fouls. 49 fouls in a game, man. They, they That crew made it hard to watch. I mean, I know it's a physical game. I know RT talked about that with Craig. He mentioned it in the post game with the media, but... That game was hard to watch at times last night. Uh, I'll echo what some people are saying on the text line, too. Recapping the uh, 78-67 Texas loss last night on the road to Iowa State. Jeff Howe and Ty Henderson. This is like the tower on the horn. Uh, There were just a couple of empty possessions. I forget who said it. Uh, Was it Stoner? No, I'm trying to find who said it. I... uh I apologize, Texture. Oh, Captain Caveman, there it is. Late in the game, they could not penetrate at all. Uh, the passes they made running off screens were outside the arc a lot of the time. Yeah, having to set the offense really high up because Iowa State was putting pressure on the ball. And, you know, when Texas really needed to make shots, it was during that almost nine-and-a-half-minute stretch without a field goal. You know, there were a couple of just really bad possessions. I know one was – Marcus Carr took a really deep three. I think that ended up being a shot clock violation, actually. Uh, One of those was a Jabari Rice turnover. I think Timmy Allen uh, was called for an offensive foul at one point. It was just when they really, really needed a bucket. It just felt like they were were out of sorts. Like they almost pressed a little bit, just sped themselves up at times where maybe they really didn't need to. And I know that's part of what Iowa State makes you do with the way they play defense. But it just seemed like when they were patient, and got into the flow of their offense. They were getting cutters open. They were running. They were coming open off of screens. Uh, just wasn't working last night. Like I said, we can talk about all of it, but for me it comes down when you in a 40-minute game, 
when you go 17 minutes of that 40-minute game without a field goal, it's really, really hard to win. And again, Christian Bishop being your leading scorer, and I love CB, but not just Chris Bennett, but Christian Bishop is CB. Uh, <laughs> when he's your leading scorer, man, it's going to be really hard to win basketball games. You need Marcus Cards, Barry Rice. You need your guards. guards. Guard play wins in college basketball. You need your guards to be that good. So we'll continue to take your uh, thoughts, questions, everything on the Specs text line. Uh, Longhorn Bear says, uh, K-State and Kansas game was opposite. Let them play. No flop calls. And I would I, I saw a little bit of that game before the Texas game started uh, and was just kind of tracking it. Again, I was watching Texas, so I didn't get to watch the end of that game. But uh, K-State, man, that, that loss Texas has to K-State, now it doesn't look like a fluke loss. I think we're figuring out Kansas State. It's pretty good. One of the uh, one of the best teams in a really deep, really talented league that should make a lot of noise come March. All right, we've been talking plenty of basketball. Let's switch gears now and talk football with this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. And it is a Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock. She's the home loan expert. Bowersockteam.com. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown. Very, very easy process for them. Craig has nothing but good things to say about Aaron and the job her team did. It's Aaron Bowersock, Bowersockteam.com. She is your home loan expert. All right, I mentioned that uh, we had one transfer portal entry for the Longhorns in terms of somebody transferring to Texas who is now officially a member of the football program. That would be Jalen Catalan. So if you were wondering, oh, man, is Jalen Catalan going to end somewhere else? Nope, he is signed, sealed, and delivered to the 40 acres and is officially a member of the Texas football program. So Jalen Catalan is in and Ty, we keep talking about it with him. If he's right, if he's healthy, if he does, if he's past the shoulder issues that he had at Arkansas, you've got an all American caliber safety stepping in for Anthony cook. And as good as Anthony cook was this year, you may have just upgraded at that safety position. If you've got a healthy Jalen Catalan playing next to Jaron Thompson. You've got those young guys behind him with Larry Turner Gooden and B.J. Allen. And, you know, the guy we forget, Ty, you mean a Westlake guy, you'll appreciate this. I think we forget Michael Taft got put on scholarship. That's my guy. So there's some – coached him growing up. Man, I'll tell you what about about Michael Taft. Last spring, after pro day, I always like asking the outgoing guys, like, hey, who in your position groom or your side of the ball, like – Who's the next guy that's going to step up? Josh Thompson looked me dead in the face and said, Michael Taft. I said, really? He's like, I'm telling you, man, people are going to figure out that Michael Taft can really play football. It's like, that guy's good. Like he's, I mean, he, do you watch him out the, all the time? The state championship against Quinn Ewers? You no, know, would you pick off Quinn twice? Twice. One of them was probably one of the nastiest one-handed interceptions I've ever seen at any level. And he played some high-leverage snaps. This year. He got some starts, did he not? Uh, he started at Kansas State. I will go back and double-check that. You know what, Ty? I think you might be right. I'll check that during the break and see where that is. Actually, Ty, you might want to uh, – we'll figure it out during the break. Uh, I've already – I'm already – I've got 19 windows open I'll, on my computer I'll trying to look stuff up. He, I think you might be right. He might have started. Well, I'm friends with his older brother, so he – knowing his older brother knowing I'm on the, on the radio every day, he usually <laughs> texts me some statistics and things to – you know, push some propaganda to push, Michael Taft stuff. There you go. I dig it. I dig it. Um, really quick before we get back to Texas football, because I did say I was going to look this up during the break, uh, in terms of minutes per game, going into the Iowa State game, 
uh, minutes per game for again those guys that you know come off the bench or or start or whatever. Uh, I said Christian Bishop was playing almost as much or maybe more than Dylan DeSue heading into last night. Dylan DeSue was averaging 17 minutes a game. Christian Bishop 16.8. So they're playing about the same. Uh, you've also got Brock Cunningham at 17.3. Uh, in terms of the guards, it, I said Marcus Cart 31.3. He's your team leader. But then you've got Tyrese Hunter at 28.6 and Jabari Rice at 24. So probably right in there, you, Carr's a little bit ahead, but between the three of them, uh, you know, you get plenty of floor time for those three guys that need it. And those three guys, they can all handle the ball. They can all shoot it. I uh, just didn't get enough done last night. So Jalen Catalan's officially in the boat. Again, I'll keep harping on it all offseason. This Texas defense has a chance to be special. It has a chance to be one of the best defenses in the country because of how good you are up the spine of the defense. With Devondre Sweat coming back, Alfred Collins, Ty, he's he's the X factor to me. I've, I've said that. I feel like I've said that for the last decade because that's how long it feels like how we've been waiting for Alfred Collins to break out. And I love Alfred Collins. love the talent that he is. But – you know he's in basically what amounts to a contract year. You know, in a, in a draft eligible year where you know he can he can come back. He's he's got a COVID year that he can use, but this year as a true senior, can he put it all together? Those flashes that we've seen, and give you the consistent production that you hope he's capable of. You throw in sweat, Byron Murphy, pound for pound, probably your best player on the interior D line right now. Uh, Vernon Broughton, and then can any one of those young guys, uh, Chris Ross, Aaron Bryant, Zach Swanson, can those guys give you something? Sadir Mitchell's on campus right now. So I like where, I like where that interior D-line is. You get Jalen Ford back at linebacker, and you won't find a bigger Maurice Blackwell fan than me. So I think at linebacker, you've got a chance to be just as good as you were this past season, if not better with Jalen Ford another year in this defense under Pete Kwiatkowski uh, and going into a season where he's going to be an, all- uh, an honors candidate, all-American candidate, buckets award candidate, all that stuff as a senior. And then we just talked about the safety group. Michael Taft, though, being able to, at the very least, give you a guy that you feel okay, you feel good putting him in the game if he needs to play high level. And they'll snaps. push other guys. Exactly. They'll push younger guys to be better. Better. I mean, he's going to be coming for one of those spots no matter what. Even if he doesn't get it week to week, He's not. that's a kid that's not going to give up, in my opinion, just knowing him personally. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I think I mentioned this after the bowl. I know I mentioned this during the bowl game. Uh, the, when the Texas defense had an availability, I asked both Jade Barron and Anthony Cook how they felt about Taft going on scholarship, and Anthony Cook said, "You know, we we all felt like we won when because they see how hard he works and and they felt really good." He and Jade Barron have been training together, working out together for a long time, and Jade said it said it almost felt like something good happened to me because Taft went on scholarship and just knowing how hard he works, knowing what he's put into it, and getting put on scholarship, it's a really big deal, man. If you're a walk on and you get put on scholarship. So Taft giving you some depth at that safety position. All right. Had a couple texts coming in about uh, the other potential possible addition to the transfer portal for the Longhorns. Mike Roach uh, had the report, and we've been working on it as a staff at Horns 24-7 last night. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, the wide receiver from Georgia, there's rumors that he's going to enter the transfer portal. And the speculation is, and Mike Roach and Hudson Standish have both heard this independently of each other from separate sources over the last few days, if A.D. Mitchell enters the transfer portal, that Texas could be a destination for him. As a matter of fact, Texas might be the leader for him if he enters the transfer portal. The transfer portal does close today. So if he enters the portal, that could be a guy that Texas goes and gets. Uh, you look at what he did this season, uh, A.D. Mitchell at Georgia last season, 
uh, 29 catches, 426 yards, and four touchdowns this season. Nine catches, 134 yards, and three touchdowns for the Bulldogs. So he's a guy that's uh, originally from, uh, I think, spent his first two years of high school uh, in uh, in the greater Houston area, in Fort Bend ISD. So looking to maybe get back closer to home. Again, we'll keep an eye on that. It's not a given that he enters the portal. Uh, he hasn't, and here's the you got to remember. Here's the way the portal works. If he doesn't show up in the portal today, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not entering. He once he notifies the compliance department, if if he enters the portal, once he notifies the compliance department at Georgia that he wants to enter the portal, they've got at that point forty eight hours to get his name entered. So basically, by close of business Friday, we should know for sure whether or not Ad Mitchell is entering the portal, and if he does. Uh, keep an eye on this if he does, though. If he enters the portal, and we've seen some guys do this, if he enters the portal with a no-contact tag next to his name, that means he already knows where he's going. We've seen a lot of guys do that. They'll have the no-contact tag next to him. That'll let schools know, hey, don't contact this guy. He already knows where he's going. So, again, today is the deadline for the portal windows to close, which means he's got to notify compliance while the close of business today that he wants to go in, uh, and I'll read verbatim from Mike's report. Again, this is Mike Roach at Horns 24-7 reporting this last night. He said, we'll see what comes of the rumors, but a source we spoke with close to Mitchell believes something could happen tomorrow morning. If he go- does go into the portal, we believe that Texas would be interested. We also believe Mitchell would be interested in Texas having started his high school football career in Houston. So just keeping on that. And I think at this point, I'll throw this at you, Ty. Uh, we talked about this on the Longhorn Blitz podcast yesterday, and I started thinking about it. We were talking about Brennan Marion and the search for the new receivers coach, which, as far as I know, still nothing new on that front. But I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, at the end of 2021, we were talking about all the position groups that had regressed and guys that weren't better. And I started thinking about it. Like, year over year, I think every position group on this roster got better except wide receiver. And the reason why I say that is we know Xavier Worthy regressed you didn't really see a number three guy emerge because whether it was Casey Kane or Brennan Thompson, Savion Red, nobody really grabbed that number three receiver role. And you can say Jordan Whittington got better, and he did, but how much of that was just due to the fact that Jordan Whittington was healthy? So I thought about it, like, okay, I'll run it down for you, Ty. You tell me yes or no. Year over year, is Texas better at these position groups? Quarterback, are they better? Yes. Running back, are they better? Were they better in 21, the 22 yes, than they were yes. in 21? Offensive line? Yeah, definitely. Tight end? Yes, definitely. Edge defenders? Yes. Interior D-line? Yes. Off-ball linebackers? Definitely. Corners? Definitely. Safeties? Definitely. That leaves one group. So that, again, that's why Sark is focusing from everything I've heard. He is focusing on player development above all else when it comes to finding a new wide receivers coach. And that's not... That's not necessarily a knock on Brendan Marion, but you look at Sark two years into the program, he's he lost one wide receivers coach to a new job, and he moved on from Andre Coleman. Finding a guy that's compatible with the way he teaches offense is paramount above all else. And if you want to listen to Longhorn Blitz podcast, we go in why Chris Jackson from the Jacksonville Jaguars, if he's the hire, why that fit could work for a lot of different reasons. Uh, we start going into it. Kerry Colbert from Florida is also a name that we've heard. We go into why he might, would be a good fit. But player development, all, because the recruiting angle, you know, you've got enough guys that are proven recruiters on this staff. Like you, you went over with the Jeff Banks 
Uh, even guys like you know, Jeff Choate proved in this cycle that uh, he's got some recruiting chops. You've got some really – Tashard Choice, you've got some really good recruiters on this staff. But the the key thing that you need to figure out in the short term if you're Sark, you've got enough talent in that wide receiver room that you should be three to five deep of guys that are just really dependable, lights-out elite players from that group. Between Isaiah Nair coming off the injury, Whittington, Worthy, Jontae Cook, DeAndre Moore – you throw Ryan Niblett in there getting getting there this summer if you want to. Brendan Thompson, Savion Red, Casey Kane. You should be able to find you four or five wide receivers that can really go. That when you rotate those guys, and we know Sark doesn't just teach those guys one position. Uh, it doesn't pigeonhole them. They, every wide receiver has to learn the route tree. They've got to learn all the positions in that offense. Uh, you should be able to find you a group of four or five where you feel comfortable rotating and comfortable giving guys different re- a different number of reps and comfortable, hey, it's third down. Uh, you know, We've got Casey Kane in the game. Yeah, we trust him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we got so-and-so off the field. We trust this guy. And A.D. Mitchell, if he enters the portal, and if the mutual interest that we believe is there between he and Texas, if that comes to fruition, then he would just add to that group and give you a little bit more margin for error when you're talking about adding, uh, you know, just really getting that room up to speed. And you got to get the passing game clicking. It's not. I wouldn't say the passing game was bad this year, Ty. It was just way too inconsistent. It's way too inconsistent. A lot was, of missed, uh, missed balls and a lot, missed throws. Yeah, and a lot of that, too. I talk about it a lot, and I really believe it. We saw it with Sam and look at any other Texas quarterback in the past that you want. I think it's that slow burn of a young quarterback trying to find himself. I, I think when you look back at it in hindsight, and we know like when Vince Young won the job in the middle of the 3 season, Greg Davis pretty much changed the offense. Like. Roy Williams and B.J. Johnson and Sloan Thomas, they became pretty much blockers because you went to the zone read and you went all in on that on that offensive identity, and it ended up winning you a national championship. But you look at when Colt came into the job, and Colt's the only one that really avoided the, the bumps, even though there were times in that 07 season where a lot of people questioned Colt. You can wax poetic on Colt's career, but there were a lot of people his, questioning. His sophomore year was his worst year. Yeah, right? we had 22 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. But look at the group Colt had around him as a redshirt freshman. You know, he walks into the he walks into that huddle. He's got a veteran offensive line in front of him. You know, Casey Stutter's still there. Blaylock, Lawson line. Those guys are still there on the outside. He still had Lima Swede. He still had Billy Pittman. You had some veteran guys that have played a lot of football and guys that you could trust. Jermichael Finley was a redshirt freshman that year and came onto the scene as, as an elite type tight end. So uh, Colt had a lot of advantages that some of those other guys had. And I'm not, obviously I'm not knocking Colt for what he did at all. I'm not trying to say. You know, it's because of the cast he had around him. But that group helped him get settled in quicker than we've seen some other guys get settled in. So I think the combination of another year of maturity, another year of growth, a year of experience for Quinn Ewers, coupled with your wide receiver position group getting up to snuff and being a group where you can develop a really good four or five man rotation, that's gonna that should bring you the consistency in the passing game that you really didn't have. This year. All right. So we talked about Jalen Catalan signing, that A.D. Mitchell news. You can get more on the A.D. Mitchell stuff at Horns 24 uh, 7. And the uh, non update update on the wide receivers coaching vacancy that Steve Sarkeesian has on his staff. All right. We take a break. Come back. Inconceivable is going to close out hour number one here on Life the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Ty, you've been following the uh, Jaden Rashada drama as it relates to the University of Florida. I have not. Oh, uh, he has, uh, according to uh, 
Shout out to Brandon Huffman, uh, 24-7 Sports, my co-worker. Uh, he has officially filed for release, Jaden Rashad has, from his national letter of intent with Florida. Yes. Because yes, as the Orlando this. Sentinel recently reported, a $13 million name, image, and likeness deal fell through. $13 million. Really? 13 Look, you're going to have to rework the national letter of intent program if i was a five-star recruit in either sport i would not sign a letter of intent you lose all your leverage when you sign that nli in what sense because that binds you to the school you can sign paperwork scholarship agreements that bind the school to you but once you sign that national letter of intent and it gets processed that means you are bound to that school so he can't leave no, he's got to he's got to request the release, and then Florida has to grant the release. Oof. Yeah, you get yourself in a lot of unnecessary paperwork when you sign that national letter of intent. Like I said, if I was a big time prospect, not every kid in the country has this kind of leverage. I would not sign a letter of intent. We've seen some Texas basketball prospects do that. Jared Allen never signed a letter of intent. Uh, I don't think Greg Brown signed one either. He, he might have just signed a scholarship agreement. I could be misremembering that, but I don't think Greg Brown signed a letter of intent. I didn't realize you – that makes no sense to me. I don't – it was either Greg Brown or Mo Bamba or maybe both did not sign letters of intent. They signed scholarship agreements. So they weren't – they didn't have to show up. They weren't binded to show up. Right, they weren't the bound to show up. Okay. Once you sign that letter of intent, I was. Means, I thought you were saying once you sign an NIL deal or a name, image, likeness deal with the school. No, because those, because those agreements are – those are uh, – that's that, – you're getting really – I'm out of my depth talking about how those NIL deals work, Ty. But if somebody's promised you 13, look, if somebody says, hey, Jeff, I'll give you 50 bucks if you do this, and I do whatever you ask me to do, and you don't give me 50 bucks, I'll be pretty upset. If you promise me, say, hey, if you sign with this school, you will get you an NIL deal worth $13 million, and you say $13 million in there, yeah, I'm definitely going to see how I can get out of that deal. So, oh, man. so wild times we live in, man. Uh, Ty, how do you feel about? I've seen Texas catch grief for this at times. How do you feel about non-championship rings being issued for teams? Well, I know Mac Brown used to do it all the time. Mac was a big fan of it. Uh, everybody's having a field day with Arkansas baseball. The Razorbacks have issued College World Series rings. Remember, Arkansas made it to Omaha, and we know Arkansas didn't win the national championship. That was Ole Miss beat Oklahoma in the championship series. But Arkansas made a big deal about it, made a video about it, put it on Twitter about getting College World Series rings, and there are a lot of people that are just completely up in arms over it on Twitter. Uh, The state of Mississippi is laughing at you. Obviously, Texas baseball fans are like, hey, win something of note, win a national championship thinking you can get one. I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but if you're going to do it, you got to understand what you're getting into. You got to understand that this isn't going to be just a universally liked decision. Well, I, that's the thing. I feel like the people that are making these kind of decisions aren't really sports people, maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because as a sports guy through and through, I would never expect, like, if the Cowboys went to the Super Bowl and lost, but they got a ring. That would piss me off as a Cowboys fan. Well, like, I know you get, I don't know if they still do it, or I guess it's up to the owner at that point. I know, like, the only reason I remember it because I was watching an episode of MTV Cribs one time. They were at Eddie George's house, and he had 
99 when the Titans went to the Super Bowl but lost to the Rams on the last play. Came up about a yard and a half short. Eddie George had his AFC championship ring in a uh, like in a display case in his man cave. And I'm like... I would never want to look at that. Thing. I mean, that's kind of cool, but isn't that... Yeah, I was like, isn't that a daily... Like, oh, I'm going to go watch some TV. Oh, I've got a daily reminder of how I came up a yard and a half short of actually winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> and you know the... Uh, the pinks, the the amber stone that was the triangular shaped orange amber that was in the uh, Miami Dolphins AFC Championship rings that Ace Ventura found at the bottom of Snowflake's tank. Oh yeah, have you not seen Ace Ventura? I ha- it's been since I was probably oh, ten years old. Got to change my cultural references, I guess, with tie back there. All right, uh, so we talked about Jaden Rashada, talked about uh, the uh, Arkansas rings. Yeah, I remember the one Texas really got grief over was. Mac Brown's last year when Texas lost the Alamo Bowl, they issued like Mac Brown tribute rings, and there are a lot of Texas fans that just kind of threw their hands up with that whole. Didn't deal. he always do that though? Yeah, always got always issued bowl rings if you made it to a bowl game. Yeah, slaying Mac. Look, I think if you if you get to Omaha and you want to issue rings, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I know, like the Texas basketball team, the year they went to the Final Four, they got Final Four rings. Did, the, did they get NIL or NIT championship rings? I think they did. I, we definitely hung hmm. a banner. Yeah, and there was that national championship graphic on TexasSports.com for about 10 minutes. Um, you know, I know they got watches. The NIT gave out that's, watches. Something like that's okay. Yeah. Maybe like a, a necklace, something like that. But the ring, the ring, that signals champion. You know, the, but the bowl games you lose, Ty, I've talked to, like, Rod and other players. Like, that stuff, you just give it to family members or whatever. It's like, like said, it's a, it's a daily reminder. Oh, yeah, we made it to the Holiday Bowl and got beat because Joey Harrington had the game of his life. So don't really want to remember that. Uh, all right. So one kind of true inconceivable story. Ty, do you know the pillars of inconceivable? I do not. Meth, death, and animal attacks. Florida? And we can mention drugs. We can mention something that results in someone's untimely demise or anything animal related we bring it to the table uh how about a three foot long alligator that was recently found abandoned in a small town in new jersey on sunday the reptile was found in a plastic storage container that was left in an empty lot in neptune new jersey according to the monmouth county society for the prevention of cruelty to animals good lord that is a mouthful um the monmouth county society for the preservation of cruelty to animals, the MCSPCA. Wow, that is a that's a lot. I had to make sure I didn't mispronounce that. Uh, they were uh, able to locate the hidden alligator after a quote unquote good Samaritan by the name of Angel Rosario called law enforcement when he saw the abandoned container in a lot next to his home. The animal welfare organization wrote in a press release on Monday. MCSPCA officials, we got all these acronyms in this inconceivable segment. I'm getting tongue-tied. Uh, they were dispatched and found the container on Bangs Avenue, a street that's located in the northeastern region of the Neptune Township. Uh, the alligator was found Sunday night in below freezing temperatures, according to the society. Uh, it is illegal for New Jersey residents to keep alligators, which are considered potentially dangerous exotic species. Yeah, you think? I mean, not only is it a danger to the public, but these animals tied. See if this is a shocker to you, but these animals, when kept in captivity, need very specific care that only professionals can provide. That's why I said, like the other day on the text line, like if you if you're somebody that houses like venomous snakes, we can't be friends. I can't be associated with you. They will get out. 
Yes. They always do. Do you know what venomous snakes do? They Bite. kill. They, 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 they kill you. Death. Off with your head. Not really, but might have foam coming out of the mouth, but that's a whole nother deal. All right. Hour number one done. Hour number two coming up next of Light the Tower on the Horn. Live local and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com.